This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. A reading from the Passion of Jesus according to the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? And when those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple police, the elders who came for him. Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour, the power of darkness. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. No more of this. Please. No more of this. We're reading the Passion of Jesus in Luke this year. Chapters 22 and 23. Uh, The story begins with Jesus taking his disciples someplace where he often took them to the Mount of Olives. Um, Across the valley from the Mount of Olives... One can be within eyesight of Jerusalem, and in particular, the golden pinnacle of the temple, the place of sacrifice. 
They often came there. We'll hear in this Sunday's Gospel reading Jesus going to that same Mount of Olives and praying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have loved to gather you, but you continue to stone the prophets God sends you. And they would pray when they were there on the Mount of Olives, or at least he would. He would pray for hours, hours. And they, on the other hand, they were used to his praying, and evidently they didn't have as much to pray about, at least not like he seemed to have. And not just this night, but often in the accounts of Luke, they will fall asleep. Uh, Been there, done that. In my first parish, I thought that's what Lenten worship actually was. A time to sleep in church. Largely a community of dairy farmers who were up early in the morning milking, spent the whole day outdoors, came in, ate a hearty dinner, and went into a warm church and sat still. It was a snooze fest of biblical proportions. But this night, Luke says, it is different. When they reach the place where they have often prayed, Jesus tells them, pray that you do not come into the time of trial. It wasn't the first time he taught them to pray like that. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. And then he starts praying. And they are epic prayers. Look at the words. They're the only time in the New Testament they exist. Anguish. Earnestly. He is sweating, Luke says, like blood dripping on the ground. So yes, true God, but also true man. Luke says so much so that an angel came and gave him strength. We were in church 11.15 Sunday. We sang that. I can't fight this battle on my own. And that's how Luke describes what is an unavoidable confrontation that Jesus is about to have with death. In some sense, that is just what it means to be human, and I think all of us can identify with that. Just in the, in the last month alone, I have heard these words, and some of you have spoken them. There's nothing more that they can do. We're going to stop the treatments. He was almost a hundred. That was a good life. They're doing everything they can, but it doesn't seem to be working. We've decided to no-code mom. There's some very real sense, and it's part of what happens in the season of Lent, that we do get in touch through the cross with death, with our mortality. But for Jesus, there might have even been some sense of relief in this story. Look, this is the God who was born a tender infant, suckled by Mary, mentored by Joseph in a synagogue community, wise and gentle beyond his years. This is the guy who touched lepers and removed demons and made the blind see and the deaf hear and welcomed sinners and even raised one of his friends from the dead. This is the guy who once saved a wedding reception because it ran dry. This is is the guy who saved an outdoor workshop that forgot to order the food. This is the guy who saved a whole day of fishing. This is the guy who stood up to a mob once and defended his hurting sister and turned to the mob and said, let those without without sin 
Let those without sin, let you cast the first stone. This guy has a heart as big as, well, God. And he is about to get eaten up and spit out by a massive, manipulative, self-preserving institution, empire, and religion who time and again are not only willing to let someone die to make them look good, but often insist on it, and sometimes even do the killing themselves. Rather than admit that we can't win this battle on our own, it is our tendency to blame someone. Rather than repent and be saved, which is such a simple thing, it is our tendency to cover up and a scapegoat. Make an offering. Spill some blood, and that'll make it right with God. But it never does. It never does. One way of seeing this, and probably the way you were conditioned to see it, is that Jesus is a blood offering required by an angry God. That is a convenient perspective for, well, for the empire and for religion. God requires sacrifices, and therefore, so do we, even innocent ones. But another way to see it is, oh no, 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 God doesn't. You blame the serpent, you blame the woman, you blame your brother, you blame the other religions, you blame the other races, you do, you require blood. You do that, God doesn't. The one God, the Father of all, the Almighty Creator of heavens and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, it doesn't make sense that God requires a blood scapegoat. This isn't what God wants. It's what you want. And Jesus is very clear about that. So they come after him in the dark of the night. He knew they are coming. It's the time of trial. They've got sticks and clubs and rocks and rope. They're masquerading like friends. They're hiding the ugliness under the guise of a kiss. And when even his beloved, sleeping, praying, believing disciples pull out their swords, there's some you don't see in Da Vinci's Last Supper picture, their swords. Even when they start spilling blood. Spilling blood! It's more than Jesus can take. No more of this! Please, no more of this! So he touches those who are about to kill him. And he heals them. Even those coming after him. And then he turns to those very people who come to spill his blood, and he says, you could have done this any time. We all know that. Enough with this charade. This is your hour. It's not God's. This is the power of darkness. Darkness. 